Who is it? Hey guys, the Strong Boys 19 here, and you are listening to Claim the Throne Bloodcast. Yeah. You're listening to the Claim the Throne Bloodcast, coming on you with insights into what it's really like to be in a do-it-yourself metal band in 2016. Keep the change, you filthy animal. You are listening to the Claim the Throne Bloodcast. I am Ash. And I'm Cabba, and it's great to be back here again. What's going on today, Ash? I uh, just got home from a full spray at work. A little bit of <laughs> OT, as they call it. Mott. Mad OT. Who calls it that? Who's they? O- old pimple ass. That's the one. Freaky. Okay, so um, <laughs> what's been yeah. happening? I feel like I haven't Fucking... seen you in a whole day. Yeah, man, it's been at least a day, hey? Yeah. Pretty, um, pretty mentally drained, I guess, from the last sort of... Two months of um of getting this album cracking and tracking, um it's been been crazy. It's been busy, but not like overly busy. It's not like we've been recording every day, but it's been pretty full on when we have been, and lots of practice, not enough practice. Uh, at the same time, lots of tracking, not enough tracking. At the same time, etc. Cetera, etc. Cetera. A lot of drinking, probably not enough drinking. Yeah, um, yeah. Naturally, it's been pretty productive. Um, I'm reasonably happy. You've been probably overworked, underpaid. Overworked, undersprayed. My brain is uh, turning to mush at the moment. Done a, been working pretty hard, and uh, yeah, it's been throwing a spanner in the works on our last weekend of guitar recording, which we just wrapped up. So I guess to actually talk about the process, we did mention. Have we done a pod since we've recorded drums? We have done one podcast the I think since one. then. Okay, so to update listeners, we did do our three days in Studio Underground with Alan Smith from Bergerk. That went really well, uh, got what we wanted done. Actually, not quite. We, I think we went in with 13 songs to record, came out with 11 drum tracks. Um, A blessing in disguise, I think. I think so. It was. Um, they were kind of the songs that we weren't quite set on fully like it was the the more new ones to us so it was probably a handy thing to kind of put them on the back burner and record the ones we've spent a lot of time learning as a band and also sort of refining so interesting because we were crapping on about how you know more songs the better and we can just choose the best ones for the album we can use the other ones for bonus tracks or eps or whatever could you imagine if we still had more songs to record on guitar now yeah like, you're right you always underestimate how much time you need for recording especially with the guitars I've, I've found. Yeah, I think where we did go right in having heaps of songs is, yeah, it got to the last day of... It was actually at the end of the first day of drum tracking. I only got one song down because we spent <laughs> a lot of time uh, not setting up being too anal or anything, but we really got the exact sound we wanted. And yeah, there was a lot of work in that, switching out drums, room positions, mic positions, all sorts of things. And... Yeah, got to that first day, got one track down and went, how in fuck's name am I going to get 12 (laughs) tracks done in two days? Two, like, eight-hour days. Could have gone longer, but this sort of style of music, you you do wear out pretty quick. Well, it's nice that, I mean, we had the key to that studio and if we'd wanted, we could have been in there around the clock 24-7. But how can you possibly do that after playing that style of drumming especially? Yeah, you Not know, for happen. eight, ten hours straight. That That is like full-on shit. Yeah, it was pretty full-on. But, you know, ended up still doing five songs a day for the next two days instead of uh, six songs a day. So, it doesn't actually seem like that much more effort. But, mm-hmm. you know, yeah. 
I, I think it went according to plan and it was nice to have the extra songs to be able to make that decision. Okay, let's cut it there. Fuck it. Um, we probably could squeeze them in, but it might not be as good uh, drumming effort because I'll be a bit more exhausted, you know. So, yeah, prioritise the songs that were come along a bit better. Then for the next four... So that was oh, the 2nd of April-ish and it's been four full weekends of guitar tracking one of those was a long weekend but I was called into work on Saturday and I had to do it so we pretty much had yeah four full weekends of two days each doing rhythm leads and like harmony stuff solo stuff for uh, for like distorted electric guitars that went pretty good I think my initial findings from that that we um, discovered on the first day was that we were using Dyson's guitar, which we used on Forged in Flame. Same computer, recording to the same hard drive, same program, Pro Tools. The only thing that was different about it, same, even the same guitar lead, the only thing that was different was this little Apogee Quartet interface instead of an Mbox 3 Pro that we used last time. And we all noticed it was just more clear and the tone, just the software amp we were using as a reference tone, sounded so much more defined and heavier as well i like everyone was like yeah cool we've really come a long way and then it dawned (laughs) on me that there's only one thing that's different so far uh we did shoot out a few other di's we we got a passive di with a lundell transformer and also an active di with god knows a countryman di and both of those you know what, the Lundell was probably the closest one to the Apogee, but it was much of a muchness and we just thought it would be easier to eliminate extra leads and extra settings and just go direct into the Apogee. So yeah, that's how we've been recording guitars so far and pretty much all done, right? Well, basically, I guess, apart from maybe a couple of songs that um, we'll need some tinkering here and there. Yeah. We left out all the um, the cleans and acoustics. We just stuck with um, the distortion straight through. Um, and it was kind of cool this time, as we planned kind of as well, where last time we did all the rhythm tracks for the whole entire album and then we went back and did all the lead tracks for the whole entire album, whereas this time we just took each section as it came, each song as it was and, and you know, really thought about what it needed and if it needed that lead there, just do it there and then mm. if it was possible, you know, and <coughs> I think that was a bit pro- uh, more efficient, I guess, getting it done a bit quicker and probably... You're sort of more in the zone with that particular song at that time and, you know, have a better feel of what it needs and what's working and what's not. What you're failing to say is that it was more creative too. Mm. Because we'd do a part and we'd go, oh, that's (laughs) what the guitars play? Fuck, that sounds really boring. And then we'd alter it. Or sometimes we'd go, oh, that, that's way too busy and we'd simplify it. That's some of the most exciting times, I think, when you're tracking, hey, when there there was a good few moments on over the last few weeks where we've just had these brain waves and done something completely different as to what was in the song. Nothing on the demo or tabs or jam room and we've just gone, hey, let's try this. And it just blows both our dicks off and we're really excited about it. So it's a pretty cool feeling. Yeah, it was pretty awesome. Like, hey, can you just pass me that guitar for a second? Do (laughs) something and then whoever's not got the guitar is just like coming in their DAX. Going, that's great. And then, you know, oh yeah, and then I'll do a harmony to that and then passing it and stuff. And I think that came with being so familiar with the songs before heading into the studio, not learning the songs as you're there. And it was cool to getting the songs down as they were. So if you opened up one of the Claim the Throne sessions, 
you're pretty much going to find a left and a right rhythm track of you know a lead or a solo track up the middle and then the only extra track would be if there was like a harmonized melody or something and so there might be two tracks almost every song has the same amount of guitar tracks but the way each song sounds some of the ones with the least guitar tracks that really were just you know two rhythm guitars and a lead guitar actually sound way more just thicker and fuller because of the styles of riffing was so different between each of the songs so it's pretty man it's pretty awesome hey yeah and and with that in mind as well there's no bass in there yet so that'll add another dimension and obviously no keys it's i like hearing stuff stripped back i think that's what's really cool as well when it's just drums and guitar and um all of a sudden everything's really clear and you can just hear everything that's going on as, as opposed to when you're in the jam room writing it it's just a bit you know you're a little bit unsure and you're not quite sure what that person's playing or this person's doing so just um yeah seeing the recording of the songs evolve from from a drum track into an entire song is a pretty cool process Mm. and we've done pretty well to keep it sort of with our initial brief which was to you know be as human as possible where you know like (laughs) you press play on the drum tracks and the click track like would reveal that the drums are a bit behind or ahead of the click and you'd go, oh, God, that sounds a bit weird. And then you just mute the click track and the guitars and the drums together. It just sounds like human beings playing together, which um, doesn't normally, well, for us in the past, well, for Forged in Flame, some of the parts didn't quite feel multi-tracked because we were so intent on like the role of the click track, you know, this time sort of using it more as a guide rather than as a strict tool. Um, yeah, I think that really helped because during the guitar recording and also during the drums, we're like, oh, should we punch in this bit? Ah, fuck it. Good enough. <laughs> and just move on. And it, I think that really adds that extra dimension to it. And so at the start, I actually edited, um, I was editing the drums song by song as if it was like, you know, that's it for the drum track. And then halfway through, I was like, why am I doing that? Because the guitars, you know, the guitars aren't even down yet. I don't even know sort of where we're at. And then I just just bounce the raw tracks of drums down and we track to that. And it was just as pleasurable. You know, there was a few punch-ins where they weren't edited properly and you hear a bit of a click or a pop. But, you know, that's easy enough to go and do after. And that way it stops you from destroying the human element because it's not so apparent when there's two, you know, guitars and drums, like two human elements against the click track as opposed to just man versus click does that make sense yeah big time i totally agree and we're not talking like you know really out of time or you know playing shit and just leaving it it's just you know like you say that little human element just to i don't know just to make it feel like you're not listening to a computer spit out some shit you're listening to some humans actually play songs all of our demos have program drums so we're used to hearing it so locked in and also over the top and everything like that and so yeah to have definitely more of a just you know what drums really sound like uh going underneath the guitars it's yeah it's it's a really nice feeling i I think that gave me the most satisfaction of it all was just that when i heard it back it felt more like a a band's album rather than this fucking play-doh bullshit that people are putting out these days (laughs) am i allowed to have a whinge about stuff that's what this podcast is for right i dig people composing things and also people utilizing technology but to then go out and go like, this is the band, this is the lead guitarist, this is the drummer, this is the singer, and everything sounds like 
it's made by a computer. <laughs> I reckon it's destroying music and, and having known some people in real life and knowing their real limitations, you know, just just be upfront about it. Why not? Like I'm I'm an okay drummer and I, there's no fucking way I could play anything like that. And Eve, I'd have to practice for years solidly and meticulously to, to pull off the shit that they're saying they can do. And yeah, I don't know. It sounds like an old fucking argument that everyone's had over the years but i was listening to onset of putrefaction the other day the first necrophagus album me too and then after you were talking about it oh really <laughs> and the drums are the drums are programmed cool but they're not they're not like over compressed to shit where they sound like tin cans so that's kind of a good thing but also um you know the riffs are kind of actually simple and the leads are sit for tech it's like not just off the chain over the top they're, but they are very technical and they sound played but who knows there may have been some editing in there i thought it was recorded on like a digital multi-track or something and those things are a bitch to edit on so i doubt that there's too much trickery going on there but even even if there is it comes across to me more like i'm listening to a band than some bands like hardcore bands that i listen to that have gone in the studio that come out sounding like a fucking robot it's it's really bizarre, man. And drum play f- playthroughs where they play along to their program tracks and you can tell they're not hitting it on time. And it's like, well, if you've recorded it, couldn't you just mute the drum tracks and mic up your own kit if you can actually play it? Like if you're doing a playthrough, right? You should be able to play it. So, Driving a man to flame and drink. What would be... Have a sip of your Coopers, by the way. <laughs> what would be the argument for that stuff? Because if it's so blaringly obvious that it just... You, you hear it and you just you know how much editing and shit's going on. Why do people do it then? Is it, like you say, there's the songwriting argument where, I mean, myself included probably, where we've had times in the past where, you know, you write a song and you just chuck some shit in the demo just to get the idea and you go, all right, I know this is going to sound awesome. I actually can't play that, but that's what the song is screaming out for. But I'll eventually learn it by the time we get to recording and it comes to recording and I still can't fucking play it. <laughs> so, there's, I mean, there's been times in the past where we've probably done some little sneaky tricks to get it sounding good on the recording. That's one thing, but then you get like the, the bands you're talking about where it's you know an entire album's worth of, of God knows what to get it sounding like it is. Um, and across a variety of genres and, you know, popular... Bands, so people obviously are digging it, and you know whether these bands can pull it off live is another question. So, what? Why do so many bands continue to do it? I reckon because when you're inside the recording bubble, you get caught in that a bit. Yep. Um, but it's also, I don't know if I would have noticed that kind of stuff back when. I remember hearing, uh, uh, fuck, I think it might have been Digi Mortal, but you've got the manufacturer in the background. It was. Pr- no, it was obsolete. Obsolete cranking out of a Suzuki Vitara when I was like, whenever that album came out, year six or seven for me. Um, <clears throat> and I heard those kick drums and I went, that's not real. It doesn't even sound real. I can tell because like even back then, I didn't know anything about triggering clearly or anything. Meanwhile, said, everyone's calling Raymond Herrera the best drummer in metal. Yeah, yeah. I guess because it's, you know, defining a genre and all that. He's doing these amazing kicks to match him with the um, the guitar riffing. Yeah, it's so off the charts. But I said around this campfire, that's not real. I can tell. Oh, how is it fucking not real if it's real? Maybe I was a bit older than this, actually. I must have been fucking like 14 or something. And I said, well, every hit sounds 
exactly the same. Like I've got a little Yamaha drum pad at home and every time I hit a kick drum on it, it's the same kick drum sound. And that's what this sounds like to me. I reckon I could do that on Windows Sound Recorder, you know, just copy and paste a bunch of kicks. And I didn't know anything about recording back then really, except for just fucking around. And um, then I go and listen and listeners at home, you can do this as well. I don't know so much about obsolete now because I haven't tested the theory, but I can almost guarantee put obsolete next to D manufacture. And even though both use Kigid, uh, Kigid, <laughs> triggered cuck drums, you can hear the difference between D manufacture where he actually plays it and they trigger it like during or after the fact and don't edit his kicks to a grid. And then obsolete where I reckon they've definitely edited the kicks to the grid or, or Digimortal and beyond. Like, come on, it's not. It's not real. It's fucking not. And, you know, maybe he is playing that shit, but it's it's not done in one hit, you know. I don't know if Fear Factory claim that it is anyway. I mean, they're always, their whole thing is, you know, technology and yep. pushing technology to the limit. And that's fine, you know, if that's what they do and all that. Mm, mm. Um, I think we're conditioned from being, you know, back then, if I was, you know, early high school, listening to Obsolete just... And saying like, "Well, this guy is the best drummer in the world," and then listening through, and things slowly getting more and more overproduced and quantized and gridded, no velocities on any of the hits and stuff. To now, where nine out of ten albums are, if if not fully programmed on drums, they're like um, natural symbols mic'd up over the top of fucking. Uh, pad. I did a um, did a session for this guy to helping him out with some project and he wanted to split up. He'd seen some producer record a track of just cymbals and then underneath a track of drums, right? And I said, I can't play like that. I play, I play the t- things together. Like I need the feeling of playing a hi-hat in order to keep my kick and snare in time with feel. And he's like, no, 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 I saw this guy do it. You should be able to do it. So anyway, I did it, did the track, went fine. It was weird. It was really weird and unnatural, but it came out sounding good. Anyway, he promised me a day's recording of one of my songs in exchange, right? So then when I tried to hit him up for it, he said, oh yeah, I'm getting some really good sounds out of an electric drum kit. And I said, oh, great. So when can we record my actual drums? And he goes, oh, I'm not really set up to that, but if you do want to come around, um, we can we can record the electric drum kit because you know it's easy to edit and stuff after. And that's the beginning of it, man. This is someone who now I know goes to studios and stuff and mics up kits. But back then, you know, was doing a lot of metal production in Perth. And a lot of those early bands that people like that were recording with electric kits, they'd play them and then you press the quantize button and it grids it to a track. They're now the ones going to the recording studio going, fuck, well, if I was perfect back then, I guess I better be perfect now. And the listening public is like, Oh, my friend Ash plays fucking drums in a band called fucking whatever. And he's, man, he's right on the money. And then, you know, live, no one can tell if someone's fucking up or not unless they know their shit. So I reckon we're all just getting conditioned across the world to hear stuff like that. And like for you as a vocalist, it must be annoying to hear it when it's like, you know, line after line and it comes in like dead on and doesn't let the other drop no in breath. after every sentence yeah 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 it's just fucking everywhere and i think people are used to it you're a passionate man ash and that's why i love you yeah if any of you guys out there have thoughts on that head to claimthrone.com the contact page leave a little comment 
whether you agree or disagree, we'll chat about it next episode. Mm. Um, I thought it was interesting just then when you mentioned that perhaps it's the recording trap, like you get into the studio and you go, shit, I've been kidding myself. I actually can't play that. Mm. Um, and I've had many moments like that myself. And even um, like it's, it's, it's like the first song that we started recording on, on this, this time around the other week, you sit down and you're, uh, you're all excited and you uh, go, just right, let's get ready to go. And you play a riff and you go, that was all right, do it again. And you play it again. You're like, that was all right. It sped up a bit here and do it again, do it again. And then like an hour later, you're still on like the second riff of the entire mm. song yeah. and you're doubling it up and you're doing harmonies and it just takes so fucking long and you just go, well, welcome to recording. Mm. Welcome. Um, but I think we did a pretty good job of, um, I don't know, of, of tackling it where if you have maybe two guitarists and you play to each other's strengths, you know, so um, someone will do certain things that they're better at than the other person, um, which can be helpful. Um, also, we did a, a fair bit of changes to picking styles, I think, where some, you know, I'd be trying to play it at a million miles an hour tremolo speed and you'd go, hang on, man, that just, don't even bother doing that because it's just sort of sounding muffled and not really matching up with the drums anyway. So pick at half speed. And you do that and you can get it really tight and it sounds way better anyway. Mm. Um, so there's quite a few occasions like that. Um, yeah. Which I thought was, was interesting. And it's just things that you don't think about when you're writing the song or rehearsing it or whatever. These things that you get away with for, you know, months or years because no one will ever know. Same as if you're playing a live gig, you know, people won't really tell unless you royally fuck up. But if, you know, if your guitar picking is a little bit iffy or, you know, whatever if you're hitting too many strings when you're trying to play a chord or something no one will really notice that shit live but as soon as you get into the recording studio everything is is up for review and, and you can't get away with anything so you've got to really be playing good and so i can see why some people would just go fuck this i'm just going to drop in every single note mm -hmm. individually to just get it right um you know, you I'll know, drop in here drop in there let's play it half speed and speed it up or whatever there's all sorts of little tricks but yeah yeah, other ways around it. It's funny when you say that, um, you know, note by note and stuff. I remember it was, you know, yesterday actually, the last day you were laying a lead, you just couldn't get it for that first portion that we attempted it. And we're all tired. It's late in the afternoon. We'd already recorded a whole song. And you're like, oh, fuck, I don't know if I'm even ever going to get this. So I go, just play note for note. And you're like, oh, I don't want to do that. And I'm like, no, no, just do it. So we did note for note. I cut it together and pressed play on it. Now, it was on the grid. It was perfect. We pressed play and it sounded disgusting. <laughs> like everyone went, it's like, why did you do that? And I'm like, well, I'm just showing you that it's better um, to kind of like play it pretty good yourself than it is to have it perfect. Like like you didn't even play it. Like it just sticks out like dog's balls. Yep. And um, yeah, and then of course that gave you a little bit of a rest it made you know that perfect doesn't always sound perfect, so to speak. And yeah, a couple more takes and we had it. And it wasn't dead on. Like there was a little like you hit the note, but maybe it's like a tiny bit muted or deadened a little bit. But it got the point of the lick across. You still played your own part and, you know, it came out. It just came out sounding good, like my friend Cabo was playing a solo. And if you start going you know if you start going that route where 
everything's got to be perfect and you can't deal with just one dead note or something like that, you know, then you're going down a rabbit hole that's not only going to make your recording take longer, but you've set the scene for what the rest of your albums is going to sound like. And if, and if I had to like clean up tiny little shit here and there for you guys, then I probably would put myself under pressure to clean up tiny little shit on the drums. And we all know with drums, like, cause you're limited to studio uh, day rates with, with drumming. And um, we could have got the drums a lot better if we had a few more days, but yeah, you know, sometimes at the time you're like, yep, yeah, fuck it, that'll do. And then you never get around to doing it. So yeah, there are a little fucking um, punch-ins and shit. You got to move around a bit cause you fucked them up or sometimes forgot to even lay certain key parts. Um, but yeah, you sort of just deal with that shit as it arises, as opposed to planning to like overhaul the whole thing and fuck man, it just takes so much longer. Anyone who says, oh man, I work fast and that's why bands like me suck my cock, man. Musicians should <laughs> be able to get their songs down for the most part. And it should only be 10% that they struggle with or else you're not ready for the studio. Yeah. And I think we could do better next time. Definitely. I think this is the best it's the most complicated amount of songs we've done, but the best effort we've done at getting them all down. Like it's only been, if you think about it, four weekends, that's eight days for guitars. Yeah. That's not that much. Yeah. You know? And bearing in mind as well, there's none of this copy paste business. I mean, a lot of those producers that would say, I can you know, make the most of your time. That means, you know, if a section happens three times in a song, get it right once and we'll, we'll paste it three times and mm. you're sweet. Whereas we avoided that as well, which was cool. And another thing that keeps that human element in there, you know, if each each time around that repetition is slightly different, um, whether it means it's a different harmony or whether it just means you can just tell that, you know, the, <laughs> you've fucked up a little bit the second time through. Yeah. And the third time you really nailed it, but it, it just, it, yeah, it adds a, a lot more character to the song, I think. Yeah, and a song like Everblade, which you guys will hear eventually, it has the same riff three times, right? And the first time we did it, we played it how we do in the jam room. And then the second time, we kind of forgot about it and did it a different way. And then the third time, we played instead of um, a tremoloing or something, it was like chords and black metal style tremoloing. And I don't think I was that conscious of how different each part would sound because it was the same part. I thought it would just come out sounding like three, maybe slightly different versions. But we played it back the week later and just went like, holy fuck, that's really noticeable. And it's shit like that that wouldn't have happened if we'd just gotten it right once and then just copy and pasted. So it's not even just about a cheating thing. It's more about like we've made our composition more dynamic just by bothering to play things more than once. How hard is it to play a 20-second section? Fuck, grow up, everyone. <laughs> Fucking blows me away, hey? Yeah. What about as well for you know, little grommets up and comers who are, are watching these older bands um, that they look up to and strive towards. If you see these bands that are, you know, in their 30s, 40s, years old, whatever, um, and they're doing really good things, and they write really great songs, but, you know, you watch them live and they're not always perfect, but they put on a good show or whatever, that you listen to their CDs, you know, you can hear all sorts of little shit that's going on that might not be perfect, but it still sounds really good. It at least gives young kids the hope that they can get there perhaps and they'll, they'll mm. keep striving towards it and go, fuck, anything's possible. If these guys can make a, a cool band, then I can do it as well. I guess if you're listening to tech death metal that has been midied into the entire song with programmed drums 
and a young kid doesn't realise the power of editing, they'll hear that and go, fuck, I'm never going to get mm. that good. What's the point of even trying? So I'll just leave it to the pros. Yeah, same with singing as well. Like I, I watched one of those terrible new bands from Perth who put out video clip after video clip and their second vocalist does these vocals that just make me want to die. They're just so <laughs> auto-tuned. It sounds like um, that band Attack Attack where, you know, you're like, what am I listening to? And then suddenly those vocals come in and you're like, oh, you're like, I don't even know. I still don't know how to feel hearing those things. It's just so, it's so lame. It's so lame, especially when the guys like try and look tough and they're on cliffs and like pointing in the air and being or whatever. And it's not real. Like, are they singing to girls and they're trying to get emotion across? Well, give me Craig David any day of the week, even if he is Pro Tools auto-tuned. I can't tell as much as when these nobbins bloody do it. And, you know, I think that's all conditioning people as well. Like, in one of two ways, they go, okay, I've seen that band live and that guy can't actually nail those notes like that. Or they've seen the backstage of Attack Attack where the vocal auto-tune is playing up. And they hear this guy going like, and then they go, oh, that's cool. I don't have to be a good singer. I think that's the worst bit about it is that actually it's easy to Google how shit are musicians these days, really. And um, yeah, it's telling people that that's acceptable. It's not acceptable. And if it is fine, but to me, it's just gross. I think especially in metal because, you know, that's why we go away from the mainstream music and everything as it is. You have your fucking Britney Spears and whatever. It's all auto-tuned and fake shit and, you know, we all hate that. So we gravitate towards the heavier style of music where everything's real and cool and whatever. And I guess it's almost no different than models in your cosmopolitans getting photoshopped to look perfect when in reality they're ugly cunts. Mm. And... um. You know, and you see that shit on the news all the time. You know, they're creating a bad example for people's young daughters who think that they have to live up to this, you know, this perfect image and shit. When in reality they don't. But yeah, and then doesn't get spoken about in music. A seventeen-year-old boy has been jacking off to Cosmo, hooks up with like one of the front-page <laughs> models, and then yaks because he realizes she hasn't shaved her pubes properly that oh. day or something. You know what I mean? Like. <laughs> You know, reality is just a hell of a lot different than people think. Yeah. It's crazy. Anyway, we're heading down a strange we path are, now. We are. What else anyway, have we got? <clears throat> okay, so let's let's digress. <laughs> Lately, we've been talking about like music and um, supporting bands and all of this kind of stuff, and it got me thinking: like, what do I actually spend my money on? And and I thought about it. I kind of made a, a pact to myself. I'm going to get a new album. This is kind of um, inspired by a few different things. But most recently, um, we did that Sleep podcast where he did his top 50 albums. And it got me thinking like, you know, I haven't listened to a hell of a lot of new music um, lately. So maybe I'm going to check out some stuff, get some new albums rather than just hammering the same shit I listen to just constantly and have done for years um, to death. So it got me looking through. Because I buy all my music online, whether it be physical copies, digital copies, or or merch or anything like that, I buy it all online. So I just went into my email, just 2016, and added everything up. So you want to hear that? Please. Today is the 2nd of May, and the last purchase I made was 
last week. So we can call it an even four months, right? So it's a pretty even number. So some very interesting findings. This year on merch and albums, I have spent $372.32. $83.60 of that was postage. Mm. Brutal. So that's... Good um, statistic. Yeah, interesting, right? So four months, eight, f- eight fours, are, what are eight fours? 32. Two. So yeah, that's about right. So about 85 bucks. So about a month's worth of the money I've spent has just been taken up in postage. So that's kind of annoying. Um, all of them shirts, by the way, except one, which was a physical album. Ah, mm-hmm. uh, two, sorry. Um, so... How many bands do you reckon I've supported for $372.32? Spot quiz. Um, let's go with six. Ten. Okay. Um, and that ten is multiple instances. So to break that number down, I bought eight albums, three of them physical copies, five digital. Um, I bought six T-shirts this year, which is a lot in four months. That's crazy. That is. Um, it's worked out to $24 per week. And I, I sort of more like to spend maybe like 20 bucks a fortnight, like $10 a week if I, that gives me a digital album a week or a physical album a fortnight. Um, I was really shocked by the postage thing, but it definitely would have been a hell of a lot higher if I wasn't so willing to use Bandcamp because I actually love Bandcamp a lot. I think mm-hmm. it's great because you do get a copy of the MP3 or in my case, I download WAV files um, so I can have them on my computer and I don't have like a big library on my phone of all these albums. I just have what I'm listening to for let's say that week or that fortnight and then I just like get rid of it and maybe load it on again when I'm feeling like it down the track. But that helps me to not just skip through shit all the time. So I'll actually have album listening experiences pretty regularly now which i was missing for a couple of years there cool um of the three physical albums i bought one of them was the from a trade so the actual person the band had traded their cd to someone and i bought it off that someone i also bought a physical copy of the new moon sorrow which cost me a whopping fucking 15 dollars to post so that was a bit brutal and I Is also that with a shirt or anything, or just a disc? No, just a disc. I would have got the shirt if I hadn't. Um, yeah, if I'd thought about that in advance, I would have bought a shirt as well. So one CD sent from Europe, fifteen dollars postage. How much is the actual CD? Like fifteen as well. Twenty-two. Twenty-two. So I got nailed on um, uh, what's it called? Exchange and yep. on postage. So that's almost forty bucks for an album. Yep. Um, the other one that I spent a bit of money on, I actually pre-ordered the new Bellacore. Mm, I nearly did that, but it's not actually out for fucking ages. Yeah. Yeah, I know. I don't know but why yeah, I did. Yeah, cool. Good. I just did. And yeah, I got a shirt with that as well. I got the Super Mega Pack and postage was eight bucks. So I, I yep. thought... Within I thought Australia, before. I guess. Yeah, luckily. exactly. So anyway, that's a bunch of shit. I don't know if you really care. I definitely do. Um, my kind of findings on that were that I spent... So I spent 56 bucks on Balacor, which was three items. So one album and two t-shirts this year. <laughs> uh, 42 bucks on Agalock, which is two items, an album and a t-shirt. 
and 40 bucks on, of all things, Mournful Congregation, which was a T-shirt <laughs> and a CD. Um, and that's excluding postage, by the way, for all those things. And then approximately 20 bucks split between the other uh, seven bands that I didn't mention. So if you worked that out over a year, what it would be per month, um, it would be, I'd actually be paying $10 to each of those bands for 10 bands for an entire year if I kept this kind of spending up. Mm. So I'd be, that's like, if we're talking about Patreon and this kind of thing, 10 bucks a month for 10 bands, 100 bucks a month on, <laughs> let's say, subscriptions. The thing is, and this is why I wanted to bring this whole uh, situation up. Okay, I've spent 56 bucks on Balacor. Unless they tour in my home city, I'm not going to spend a red cent on them for the rest of the year. Not because I don't like them, but because they're just releasing an album. You've got all the content that you can get from Ex- Yeah, exactly. And it's, um, I really like those guys and I certainly would purchase more stuff if it comes out. But because I'm a single purchase user, they're probably not going to get anything off me. Uh, same with Agalock and definitely Mournful Congregation. Like I bought an album that came out, you know, seven years ago and a shirt to match you know and um with agalock i bought an old album of theirs that i really like that i just never bought so anyway so i thought it was pretty interesting it's not sustainable for me and it makes me go like holy shit am i spending that much money on music this year but yeah i think i could comfortably buy a like yeah stick to my fortnight 10 bucks probably a fortnight from now on just on the, the band here and there, you know, and it probably won't be new stuff unless anything blows me away. Yep. Um, but yeah, just an interesting little experiment. The other thing I did is sign up for Apple Music mm-hmm. because they were in the interest of legitimizing the way I listen to music for things that I don't really want to buy, but I do once a year want to listen to them. I'm happy to have like an Apple Music subscription to kind of like, you know, listen to the new Moon Sorrow while, while I'm waiting for the CD to come into the mail, um, which I did the other day. It's pretty cool. I think it's a cool way of finding bands as well that you might not have heard before and, and all that. But um, yeah, I guess with that, it's a lot harder to, you know, you couldn't go do some research like what you've done there and figure out how much of your $5 a month has gone to which bands and whatever, you know. Uh, yeah. But man, I'm so super impressed by that little bit of, um, that little bit of research. It's awesome. Mm. It is interesting. And I, I think that um, something I'd like to keep up for the whole year if I can. And it would be interesting if you did it too. And I think we'd both be shocked with how much money we actually spend because I don't go to shows as much as I used to. I think, um, you know, there's not as much exciting me out there. But also, um, I'm getting a little bit swamped in with work and my own band. It's, it's, I'm finding it a struggle to get out to certain things. But I still... I'm impressed that I have, like, supported so much still. You know what I mean? Well, that's $380 more than a lot of people would have spent this year. Yeah. On music, who would have probably consumed a lot more than you have. And let's call it $288.72 once you get rid of the postage. (laughs) So, yeah, that's pretty It's interesting. And um, with that postage thing, um, there's quite a few albums this year that I have purposely not purchased yet because of the postage factor and because they're not available in Australia in the stores anywhere because less people are buying shit so they stock a whole less of a variety um, Mm. in the shops but because I'm going to Europe in a few weeks Mm. I know all these new albums are going to be in the stores there and I want to get you know a vinyl and a shirt or whatever as well 
it's just more practical for me to just hold off a little bit. Mm. Probably spend a good few hundred bucks while I'm away on a whole shitload of music and come back with it without paying a cent in postage. And then that'll sort of keep me going for a few months with new music. We always talk about saving money and people will like go, oh, bands get fuck all off album sales or whatever. But then the same person will go like, man, seriously, I picked up fucking Dark Side of the Moon for 10 bucks at JB the other day and they're hell stoked about it. And it's like, well, you know, you know, where's the markup going and how much like bands are only earning fuck all off album sales probably because um, half of that cost goes to the retailer, you know. But yeah, to one little stat I forgot to read out was where I got everything from. So oh, yeah. it was just, I'll read straight down the list. Bandcamp, record label, uh, retailer, retailer, merch store, like a, um, what do we have? Big Cartel. Bandcamp, Bandcamp, distro, merch store, Bandcamp, label, Bandcamp, merch store, merch store. So pretty much like the way I figure it, I did notice that... Uh, I bought the cattle decapitation from last year. I got that off Bandcamp, but that's run by their label. I can't remember who it is. Metal Blade, maybe? Metal Blade, yeah. That's and the one you were showing me. Their site is really well laid out and looks really cool. Yeah, yeah. And I appreciate it a lot, but let's, you know, it's harder to say that that money goes to the band. Whereas, like, all the other Bandcamps I bought off, I'm pretty sure are just run by the band. So, you know, for all of a similar cost, I've managed to. Yeah, like be in good support of of indie bands. Same with their their own um, online merch stores. It's cool to be able to give directly because I know how much it helps us when when we get merch sales and and all of that. So yeah, it makes that a little bit nicer to be able to connect. Because in the past, all you could do is buy a CD and yeah, I support the bands. I've got all your CDs, and they're like, thanks, mate. You just gave us six cents. But <laughs> yeah, anyway. Yeah, cool. Really cool. Love it. What was the retailer you went to, if I can ask? Uh, it was... Oh, okay. So, that was still online, but it was an okay. online retailer, like um, yep. uh, Indie Merch Store or oh, okay. Rockabilia yep. or one of those kind of things. I can't remember for sure. But um, I Do just... Do you ever d- go into CD stores at all? Especially, <laughs> like, you live in the city pretty much. There's, there's probably more there than anywhere else in Perth, but still barely any. I was chatting to a guy at work the other day and... Um, fuck, he brought up some album and I said, oh, I'd be keen to listen to it. And he goes, yeah, just go, in, like, just matter of factly, just go into JB Hi-Fi today and buy it. I go, I'm not doing that. I haven't <laughs> even heard it yet, you know, like, and that's what I, I am one of those guys who literally listens to stuff online somehow, whether it be YouTube or Bandcamp or streaming on their site, Spotify, something. And then if I like it, I'll go and buy it. But I don't like that notion of walking into a CD store flicking through picking up something going oh cool cover or wow it was on roadrunner records i wonder what this stone sour album sounds like i wonder (laughs) if it's similar to old obituary what about if um it's the the older school record stores in perth you've got your dadas where you can get a cd and listen to it that is is a different story is that a Uh, kind of a cool experience or does it just take too long and a pain in the ass takes too long pain in the ass Dada's Dada's have a wicked range they do have a great range one problem is because shit's so expensive to get over now you're still sort of looking at 30 bucks for a hard to find CD yeah my buddy who I live with buys all of his shit at Dada's actually and he'll come home probably once a week actually if not once a fortnight with a new CD and so let's say Agalock Serpent and the Spear oh my god I can't even talk Serpent and the Sphere came out 
he bought a digipack version from Dada's and it was cool. And the irony is, is that half the CDs he buys, he ends up listening to them on YouTube anyway because it's easier to connect it. And I do exactly the same thing. Funny you should say, only the other day, um, I'm sort of updating all this music on my iPhone for this flight I'm catching soon, so I want a whole shitload of music to listen to. Mm-hmm. But to like go through my ginormous CD collection and choose out all the things I want to listen to, that's all well and good. But then having to upload every one of them onto the computer and then you know get them onto iTunes and do all the tinkering around, it's so much quicker to just download a torrent. Yeah. And I found myself yeah. doing that. And while it's you know technically illegal, I guess it's not like I haven't paid for that release and it hasn't gone to the band or whatever. But I don't know. That's a, an interesting conundrum. Yeah, I've done the same and I've done it with um, uh, like Super Mario Brothers 3 as well where I really feel like playing <laughs> it but can't be bothered fishing the Super Nintendo out. So, I'll just get the... Uh, the Emulator what, online. Or yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and you mentioned fishing out something that I paid for, blah, blah, blah. Well, one interesting thing is two of the shirts I bought this year, like, oh, it's a lot of bloody shirts to buy, Ash. Um, are you going to wear them all? Well, it's because I've lost the same two shirts three times and it's now the, th- the third or possibly the fourth time I've bought both of these two shirt designs because I really like them. And um, yeah, they came in and, I'm, and I bought them off. Oh, fuck, I don't remember which side it was. Let's say it was in the merch store. And well, I bought it a third time and that was the most whopping postage of all of them. Like it was fucking 35 bucks to get two shirts sent to me. It's ridiculous. And I'm like, how much money have I spent on these goddamn t-shirts? And it's probably all markup going to that retailer rather than the band themselves. Yeah. I think that's actually what spurred me to make this list because I went, what the fuck am I doing? Cool, man. Well, I'm looking forward to um to an update on that list in the next few months. Mm. Yeah. Um, if I keep on trying to do something similar. Yeah, cool. It's also going to make an uh, album of the year thing better for me to do yeah. rather than just like guessing the last thing I listened to. So, I've already got an album of the year so far. I won't tell you, but we'll see how it um, plays out over the year. <laughs> awesome. So, what are you cool. listening to at the moment? What's the current one there that is on the playlist? Uh, I've been listening... Well, the last thing I listened to was Onset of Putrefaction, actually. I listened to it, I've listened to it maybe three times over the last uh, few days. Yeah. And also, The New Moon Sorrow, I've given it a fair crack. And I did break out Cattle Decap for the week. The weekend that I bought it, I listened to it a fair bit, but it hasn't quite got the staying power. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just yet. But you know how things happen. Like you listen to something, sometimes it doesn't catch you at first and then it does later. It caught me enough to buy it, but we'll see if it catches me fully later. Mm-hmm. How about you? What have you listened to? Awesome. Um Pretty much the new Moonsaur as well, and still um, the latest Swallow the Sun. I've been giving mm. a lot of rotation, um, and both of those on iTunes Music as well, um, mm. with the so intention of purchasing them in um, in Europe when I'm over there on vinyl, especially the um, Swallow the Sun one's a triple album, um, and that's particularly cool. I think that's why I've still been listening to that for so long because there's just so many songs to get through. It's like a heavy disc then an acoustic disc and then a really weird ass sludgy heavy mm. doomy disc um, but yeah I think that's really cool cool I love how many times you said disc but yeah I've got a bit of a bit of a shopping list for myself when I'm away any highlights what are you most excited about 
uh, or the new Sewer Dark Crow album going to this their CD launch in Germany. <sighs> That's going to be pretty amazing for me, being a big time fanboy of them. You got to chat to them. Uh, yeah, yeah, definitely. Yeah, they just put the first song out actually, the lyric video on Facey the other day. Yeah, sounds okay. Sweet. Um, but yeah, grab the disc when I'm over there. Depending what formats they got, maybe a vinyl or something, and a shirt and all that as well, without having to pay the postage, which will be lovely. I have to have a squaz at that. Yeah. Anyway, Pretty we've cool, been man. crapping on for nearly an hour, so let's mm-hmm. bail. Yep. Song of the week. Um, the kombucha mushroom people, the great inner nothingness from their coyote EP. Do you have it? Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I would be honoured to edit that into this podcast, Cabba. All right, we're gonna roll out here with um with Cabba's first high school band, and there's certainly no fucking edits in this, as you'll tell. <laughs> and that is an example of when you should be editing or not going into the studio yet. But nonetheless, it's a good experience, and uh, wouldn't be here today without it. Yeah, as uh, everyone's got these secret little bands that they were in in high school. Yeah, yeah, it's a beautiful thing. One day we'll <laughs> bust our leaky family. <laughs> anyway, we'll be back soon. Tweet the fuck out of us if you want. I'm at Mr. Cabba. Ash is at Ash underscore throne or some shit. Ash uh, throne. Yeah, no underscore. Yeah, that's it. There, there you go. Yeah, claimthethrone.com for all your dose of uh, our shit and facebook.com slash claimthethrone. Sounds good, Cabs. Catch you next time.